Good morning. Let's worship together as we read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power was granted to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way they will be richly provided for and an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, again, welcome. Uh, so glad that you are here with us. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be uh, with you here at the, the Leewood Campus of Christ Community. Uh, if you're like, who is this guy? Um, completely confused what's going on here. Maybe some of you are like, did, did Andrew get taller on sabbatical? Um, how long has he been gone? Or, or maybe, maybe I'm like, I'm vaguely familiar from some community group video you remember falling asleep watching. Remember? That's, yeah. Um, let, me, let me introduce myself. My name is Nathan. I, I have served primarily at our uh, Olathe campus um, since 2006 as the campus pastor there in Olathe. I've recently transitioned uh, into a, a new role kind of uh, working with and, and partnering with serving uh, all of our campuses uh, across, across the city. And so it's fun to, to be here with you, to join you um, in on that. Um, let me kind of give a little history of who I am just uh, so we can get to know each other a little bit before we jump in. Um, we got some heavy stuff to cover, so I feel like it's better if we at least know something about each other. Um, I began attending Christ Community as a, as a senior in high school uh, in 1997. At that point, we had one, one campus. Uh, it wasn't even here. It was at Overland Trail a Middle School. Some of you were there. You remember those days. Uh, like our brothers and sisters out at our Shawnee Mission campus, like we know what it's like to be a, a mobile church and to set up chairs and to, to do all that work. That's when I entered in um, as a high school student and, and quickly God grabbed hold of my life um, Tom's teaching uh, really drew me in very quickly. He's always just been a, a mentor to me, um, and even in that early experience. Went away to college where I met my, my beautiful bride of almost 15 years. Her name's Kelly. Um, and after that, went to seminary and then returned to Kansas City 
uh, to begin what was supposed to be a very short one-year uh, residency or internship um, back then. I was the, the first of now what, we've, what we have as our, as our residents. So that was, that was in 2005. Uh, I, I still very clearly remember my, my first sermon um, here. Uh, I, think, I think I still have like some of those initial jitters because it's been so long. And like, I mean, it was, it was like three, maybe four weeks uh, after I'd gotten here. Didn't know anything, right out of seminary. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody else was just on vacation. Um, and and I, yeah, and so they put me in. And some of you were there and it was terrible, but thank you for sitting through it. Um, we'll see if there's been any improvement after today. I don't know, um, but it was hard. But that, that experience said to me, and it probably said to you who were, who were there or those who have been a part of this residency um, process as a church, a teaching hospital for so long now, that said to me that this church I mean, is either crazy, right, um, or truly deeply committed uh, to, to growing and nourishing new leaders. Um, and we've seen that, right? Um, we've been a part of that, and, and the history of that as a church is, is really, really exciting. Um, I was only supposed to stay a year, um, but early on, uh, this little church in Olathe was given to us practically um, as a church, um, right, right on the corner of Olathe. And we had talked about doing multi-site before, We've been planning about it, thinking about it, praying what it would look like. We've always been committed as a church to, to church planting. Uh, we believe in, in, uh, that the, the, the most effective way to reach lost people is to plant new churches. Um, and so we want to do that, and we had been doing that. Um, but when this property was handed to us, it was almost like God just sort of pushed us headfirst in. Um, and we haven't looked back, have we? I mean, so I, I, sh- I showed up there, there in 2006 in the fall, uh, and I, I remember... Um, preaching to about a dozen people, which is even more awkward than it sounds, I assure you. Um, but we were joined about a month later by over 100 from here, of you all sent out into that place, people who lived out there who, who said, yes, maybe, maybe we together, Christ community, maybe we can reach people with the gospel. Maybe there in that corner of our city, there's something for us to be a part of. And let me just say, 10 and a half years later, I, I hope you hear this right. I don't, I don't take any credit for this. This is God's work through his church. Uh, but just a couple of weeks ago on Easter, uh, we in Olathe, we had almost 1,200 people there um, in four jam-packed services. Like if you've seen that space, you can imagine the chaos that that was. But praise God, we're, we're breaking ground. We've, we've done that. We had the sort of ceremony last week, you know, and the silver shovels and all that silliness. Uh, but we're moving forward on this, this expansion for us. And let me just say, thank you so much um, for your encouragement, your affirmation in that project and your, your generosity to, to the church. Um, not just for us in Olathe, but also Shawnee Mission to, to buy land for them for a start there. And, and for all of us, right, as we partner together in this, this thing that God has called us to. And I don't want to minimize this, but you here are saving lives all over our city. Um, in Olathe. I, I mean, I mean that because 10 years ago, this, this medium-sized church in Lee would decided to give itself away. To spread itself out. To do this, this work together across our city. It started here. It started with you. Um, and through the faithfulness of God, there are now hundreds of people who know Christ who might not otherwise. That we've had a part of together. Um, families have changed, lives, cities, you know, workplaces, all of this um, because of your faithfulness. Thank you for leading the way in that. And so I, I, love, I love Christ community. Um, I, love, I love Tom. Uh, I love Andrew. Miss that guy. Don't you miss Andrew? Yeah, he'll be back soon. Sure, He's one of my closest friends, truly. 
um, and the team's here. And although we may not know each other, I hope, I hope this doesn't sound trite, but I hope you know how much I love you. I'm so excited to be able to partner with you. I love this church. Uh, it's a joy that we get to be family together in this work that God has called us to. Uh, speaking of family, I feel like I definitely want to show these guys here. This is mine right there. Yeah. Um, David is 10. In fact, we found out we were pregnant with him the same day. We found out the Olathe campus was given to us. Uh, it was kind of a big day in our lives. Uh, and then Eden, uh, my beautiful little daughter, she's eight. And of course, Kelly in the back. So, all right. Enough of that. We know each other. We good? Okay. Uh, we got a lot of work to cover. So let me, let me pray and we'll, we'll jump in. God, I am so grateful for your church. God, this is your church, the place that you have built all throughout our city in praise of your, of your good name and, and desire to re- reach the lost, to, to serve the, the disenfranchised. And God, um, what a privilege to do that work together. God, I thank you for the teams across our city. I thank you for um, all that you're doing in all of our campuses and the way that you began that work here. God, what an honor it is for me to be a part of that. And so I, I pray now as we, as we enter this new series, as we study your word, God, be with us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so I know, I know we just met and all. Um, and, and this is really only like, this is the second time I've been to church here in 10 and a half years, here. So that's, you know. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's sort of normal. But I, I've got to tell this story. Um, it's going to get weird for a minute. Um, but I think, it, I think it's going somewhere. I think, I think it's going to be okay. First service, nobody, I don't think anybody walked out. Um, so it's going to be fine. But let me just get there. It's, it's, got a, it's got a point. So we were in Florida over spring break. It's where my wife is from. So we're back seeing family and all that. Um, and it was, it was during Lent, just you know, a few weeks ago. Lent, the season leading up to Easter in which Christians have historically, traditionally given up something right? Uh, in order to enter into the sufferings of Christ, right? I've done that. You've probably done that. Many of us have been a part of things, things like that. And so we're there during Lent and we drove by a Hooters. Drove by. That's it. Uh, just drove by. Um, but we couldn't help but notice the sign. Like they had a marquee, right? And I'm not making this up. Look at this. This is what it said. Fish fry every Friday through Lent. At Hooters. I mean, like, let, let that sink in for a moment. Like, like, how do you come to that conclusion? I mean, you know, so you could still be a good rule-following, Lent-keeping Christian and, you know, enjoy the view, right? I mean, like, how does that happen? I mean, can you almost imagine the conversation earlier that day, right? I would never eat meat on a Friday during Lent. I'm a good person. Hey, do you want to go exploit some women, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, the fish was delicious, but <laughs> no, no, no. That didn't happen. I didn't go. Um, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't been to Hooters since Bible college. Actually, my aunt took me. My aunt took me. That's another story. That's a whole new level of weird. Okay. Are you, are you following what I'm getting at, though? There's a point, right? Okay? Because, and I'm not, I, listen, I am not just sort of like making fun of Catholics here. Frankly, I'm making fun of all of us. Okay? And, and not just Christians, humans. Because this is what we do, isn't it? 
We make these rules, whatever it is, some good, some bad, some arbitrary. We make them, and if we keep them, we keep, do these things, we don't do those things, you know, I feel like we're, we're a good person, right? I got my life together. I'm doing, I'm doing fine. And whether, whether you're a Christian or not, like, you have your rules, and I have mine, but they're often without any real virtue or character underneath them. Rules, rules, rules. And I'm not, I'm not down on rules. We need rules. Rules can be really good, but I mean, we're lousy at keeping them. Uh, they often come out fairly arbitrary in the way that we think through them. And they're so easy to just say, ah, forget it. And we just kind of do whatever we want, right? Let me ask, is this really the best we can do? Let me give a couple of examples to think about. Um, the U.S., makes up 5% of the, the global population. But we have 25% of the global prison population. Do you know that? I think about that for a second. Like rules, rules, everywhere rules. And yet we incarcerate more people than any, anybody else on the planet. Our own people, right? 25%. Or, or think, of, think of this too, uh, the housing crisis just a few years ago, right? When our 401ks took a beating. You remember that? It's terrible. And at the heart of that was a lack of virtue. Poor government policy, Wall Street greed, and, and foolish decisions by individual home buyers, right? You mean I'm qualified for how much? Sure, I'll take two, right? I mean, so here's where it gets really scary. Democracy only works with virtuous people, Right? How much longer do you think we have? So yes, we, we can see the decay from here. But before we get all cocky, let's keep in mind that we're also part of it, aren't we? Because we're part of the mess. I mean, we, we celebrate the vices. Greed, lust, gluttony. I mean, that's just spring break, right? Or, or, or we, we mock the virtues. Prudence. Diligence, sacrifice, I mean, why are you, so, you Christians so uptight? And we can, we can get up on our, our high horse, pointing fingers, oblivious to the mess that's inside. Or we go to the other extreme, we jump, we jump head first in, right? And we end up no better than anyone else. Isn't there a better way? Shouldn't the church be different? Teach them to obey, Jesus said. If you're with us through the Matthew series, right? Last week we ended that. That's, that's where it ended. That's where Matthew ends his gospel. That's where Jesus ends his instructions there to us. Teach them to obey. Do you know Peter was there? And Peter was part of that discussion, part of that, that time. If you have a Bible with, with you, turn to 2 Peter chapter one. We heard these words read a moment ago. It's hard to find. It's kind of tucked in a little in the back. Just maybe go to the table of contents. Don't be a hero. Um, but second, second Peter, this is toward the end of, of Peter's life, probably three decades after Jesus said those words. And Peter writes in this letter to the church, more than just rules, more, more than just empty freedom, but virtue, character, and warning against vice. And today we begin a, a new eight-week series, 
vices and virtues. And we have a whole lot of ground to cover this morning as we try to in, introduce this, this topic and the series and, and all that we're, we're going to be doing together the last eight weeks. A lot of stuff to talk about. But if there's one thing you remember, I hope it's this. Like if you're, you're going to take one thing from you this morning, I hope, I hope that it's this. That you can run after virtue or you can be trampled by vice. Like those are the options. There's not, there's not a third way. Like you can run after virtue. You can chase it, give your life towards it, go, go and grab it. Or you can be trampled, devoured, eaten, and destroyed by vice. We heard it read, but let me, let me reread just a few of these verses. Beginning with verse five. Peter tells the church, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." Whoever lacks these qualities, we need to start here. Because the opposite of, of virtue isn't neutral, right? Um, neutral is never an option for us as, as humans. The default of the human heart is, is to drift into vice. And listen, when it comes to vice, every one of us here already has habits that can kill us. That's what a vice is. It's a habit that can kill us. It sounds a little extreme, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. So let's, let's talk a little about this word vice, because it's maybe a new one for some of us, or, or one that we're not really sure what, what, it, what we're getting at here. And this is really, really important for the, for the whole series. Listen to this, okay? A, a, a vice isn't the worst thing that you can do, okay? Throughout this series, uh, we're going to talk about seven of them, often referred to since 590 AD as the seven deadly sins, such as envy, vainglory, sloth, greed, anger, gluttony, and lust. And some of you, maybe you read that list and you hear deadly sin, right? You're like, what is wrong with Christians? Like, I did half of those on the way to church this morning, right? Like, they, they just seem like normal, everyday kind of sins. Not that big a deal, are they? No big deal. No, they're not the worst thing that you can do. But they are the habits that, if left untreated, can bind us, blind us, and trample us before we even really know it. I mean, think of it a little bit like, like smoking or if you were to eat a cheeseburger and fries every single day for lunch for your entire life, right? I mean, some, in some ways, big deal, small habit, right? Feels like nothing in the moment, but it, it will kill you. Imagine, imagine your life like a tree. Like this is the, the graphic that we have for, for our series. Imagine your life like a tree, a vice is like a virus that slowly attacks the roots. Small, unnoticed, and vicious. 
It does most of its real work before it's even exposed on the surface. They are the habits that become our character, that become our identity, that become our demise. They shape us and they enslave us. I can see it in some of your eyes. Like some of you are like, man, you pastors exaggerate. Yeah, maybe a little. Not here. I don't think so. And, and maybe, maybe even say like, well, come on. I mean, I, I've been lusting since I was 13 or any, any number of these, these vices. What's, what's the big deal? Okay, so you don't think your vice is a problem. Um, then stop. Like, just don't do it anymore. Or, or take a break. I mean, if, if, if you're in control, right? If they're not really that big of a deal, then just quit. Don't do it. And see, see what happens. And not, not just lust, but like, okay, anger. Why haven't you stopped yelling at your kids, Right? Or, or envy, go on Facebook and don't, don't compare yourself with others. Don't, don't feel that envy coming up. How do you think you're going to fare? It's not just the sin that we're talking about here. It's who I'm becoming. Because we're always being formed by these things. I mean, go back, go back to lust, for example. You are becoming a person who instinctively takes from another without their permission. That you, you're training your brain in those moments over time, time and time and time and time and time again to actually objectify an entire gender of people. And, and neurologists will tell you that in the process of doing it, you're actually rewiring your brain. You're becoming a different person. You're rewiring your, your brain to, to, be, have, like, to diminish intimacy, uh, diminished relationship. And again, it's not, just, it's not just lust. You and I, we are always being formed by our behaviors. Every one of us, all the time. And some of them will kill you. I mean, according, according to Peter, right, he says they make us nearsighted and blind. And look, if you see how he continues, right, it's really that we forget the gospel. Like, in the midst of these things, we actually forget who Jesus is and what he's done. And vice, vice is simply where our hearts go if left unattended. Like left to our own devices, it's, it's who we become. Like you don't have to try to slip into vice. They're right there waiting to trample you. And so you can run after virtue or you can be trampled by vice. Oh, glad that's over, right? Really glad none of us struggle with any of those things. This will be easier. Now we're going to talk about virtue. Because, I mean, I'm a good person, right? I mean, you're a good person. I'm a good person. We're all good people, right? Ah, when you get to virtue, the reality is we can be so much better than we are. Can't we? I mean, you know it. I know it. In fact, New York Times columnist uh, David Brooks in his outstanding book on character and virtue um, called The Road to Character, he, he makes an interesting distinction uh, between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And so the resume virtues, I mean, they're, they're important. He's not minimizing them. That's, that's like your skills, your abilities. It's what you go to college for and, and the, the things that lead to, to your you know, sense of success and, and whatnot. Those are the, the resume virtues. Eulogy virtues, though, like, those are the things that every one of us hopes at some point somebody ends up saying about us. Like, you know, when we're 
when we're laying here in a box. Virtues like kindness, humility, diligence, charity, or love, patience, temperance, chastity, like self-control, right? I mean, that's, that's what we long for. We, we want that. Every, we do, don't we? But Brooks makes the point that we spend our entire lives chasing after the resume virtues. Everything is about, it's the next goal, the next achievement, the next class, the next thing that I can check off my list. We do everything to get those, and yet we just sort of haphazardly hope that these other ones somehow appear, right? Like, well, maybe miraculously I'll become a loving person, right? And the reality is, I mean, I mean I've done funerals for both kinds of people. And there's no hiding who's who in that moment. Still, though, I would venture to guess that most of us think we're, we're pretty decent, right? And at first glance, I mean, look at us. I'm like, we look pretty good. Are you? Because character is not the clothes you wear to church. It's not the conversations you have when you only reveal the things that you want to about yourself. I mean, char- character is not the stuff that we easily sort of let out, you know, or, or post. No, character is who you are when nobody's looking. And you're all alone. And you're making decisions. Character is who you are when life falls apart. You have nothing left to stand on. Or when you feel viciously attacked by someone around you. It's what comes out when you least expect it. And I think for me, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, I mean, I can say I'm a nice person, but I think a big part of it, at least for me, is that what I really, what I'm really saying is actually, I just live a fairly easy, untested life. Like, my life's not that hard. I hang out with people that like me, and I like them, and we agree on everything, and, and you know, it, things go fine, and so it comes out as, well, he's a nice, good person. He loves others. It's like, well, yeah, when it's easy, Right? But I mean, think about this, like, what would happen to my character if I didn't drink coffee tomorrow? I'm not kidding, right? And the, the laugh you're giving is a knowing laugh, isn't it? Right? Or what if I just got three hours of sleep? What if I didn't eat any food tomorrow? What if everything in my life was taken away from me? Everything. Then what's going on? I'm not sure we're as virtuous as we think we are. I think part of it is that we live fairly easy, untested lives. Besides, we're not, we're not just talking about good deeds here. Like, good deeds, that's, that's easy, right? I mean, really, comparatively. Peter's talking about something way, way more than that. These are the habits that form us over and over and over again. And when we live this out through faith, look what Peter says in verse 4. When we live this out through faith, we become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. I mean, think about it. It's a restoration of God's image in us, that which is lost in the fall. For God is a virtuous God, and we become like him. We become partakers of his his nature. Doesn't that blow you away? In verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, like there's never an arrival point with them, right? Yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10, they confirm that our calling and, and election, that they, they affirm, confirm our calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never 
fall. These are the habits of life. I mean, all of which, you know, sound great. We can be better than we are. It sounds hopeful, right? We can celebrate that. And we'll, we'll talk about how in a moment. But first, we've got to pause here for a second because you have to know the disease before you can apply the cure, right? You've got to do that first. And so let me ask this question I've been wrestling with, man, this week. I tell you what, do you see what's chasing you? You can run after virtue or be trampled by vice. What's, what's in your rearview mirror? What's, what's beginning to grab hold of little subtle parts of who you are? What, what behavior are you in that, man, this is, seems like it's becoming a habit, right? What are the habits that could kill you or bring you life and flourishing? And one of the most interesting examples of this to me in, in the scriptures is the story of Cain and Abel. It might be a familiar story to some of you, but you know, it's, early, it's like in the first few pages of the Bible, right? And even just think about that, like it's generation two and we're already killing each other. Like it's not a good sign for humanity at that point, is it? That's what happens right away, but it doesn't start with murder. It starts with anger and envy. Ah, it's just a little anger, right? And I, it's so interesting because God graciously warns Cain there in Genesis 4, verse 7, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, but you must rule over it. Just a little envy, a little anger, a little lust, a little gluttony, a little sloth, but it is crouching at the door, ready to trample and devour. And if you're not sure which of the vices are chasing you, Here's a good rule of thumb. Just assume they all are. Every one of them. Here's a simple next step. I mean, if you want some more clarity and kind of this self-exploration, and, and you know, we'll hopefully as we un- unpack each of these in the coming seven weeks together, um, we'll give you some more helps along the way. But I mean, just if you want to figure out what, what your character really is, I mean, try something silly like not having coffee tomorrow. Just see what comes out. Take, take a day off of food. You know, spend, spend a couple hours on fa- Facebook and, and don't get envious. Try some of those things out. Don't, don't buy anything for a month that you don't need. Just, you know, see what happens. Good luck, by the way. <laughs> okay, so now what? Right? We need some help here. We see the problem, so what's, what's the solution? And this whole, this whole series, right, is designed to help us with some practical ways of, of getting to the solution to these problems in our lives. But there, there are two things right away that we see here. Uh, and these are going to come out. These two things every single week. This is what it comes back to. And Peter takes us right to this place. If you want to move from vice to virtue, you're going to need grace. And you're going to need hard work. We see him here. Rebecca DeYoung, for example, uh, in her book, Glittering Vices. If you're looking for another resource uh, to kind of walk through these seven deadly sins with us, this is an excellent one. Glittering Vices by, by Rebecca DeYoung. Here's, here's one thing she says. Once we see the mud of our moral corruption, we are faced with the challenge of re- re- with reforming our habits from vice into virtue, a process that immediately confronts us with the need for grace. 
And we see that, right? As soon as, as, soon as you like, think about those habits, you're like, man, I can't do it, right? We, we have to have grace. And friends, this is where Peter takes us. And Peter tells us, I mean, think about how generous God is. Peter tells us that we already have everything we need. Everything. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what he says. Look at this. Verse, uh, verse two, I think. Start there. He says, man, we have a generous God. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Divine power, God's power. I mean, if, you're, if you're a Christian, like that's, that's God's promise to you that you have what you need to be able to change and grow. And, and that, yes, we need people around us, but you have those, right? That God has placed us in a community where we could actually become, we can become the people that he longs, longs for us to be. These things, they don't have to master and destroy us. But I have to tell you, I, if you're like me, you hear grace and you're tempted to go in one of two directions. And I waffle back and forth between the two. One, if you hear grace, you think, well, I mean, it's grace, right? What does it really matter? I'm forgiven. It's fine. Vices can't be that big of a deal. And just, ah, we'll just worry about this another time, right? And we, we do that. We just think, well, if it's grace, it's fine. Or, or we go to the other, the other extreme. And I do this as well. I think, man, it's grace. Peter says, I have everything I need. And why am I still such a mess? Like, why am I not farther along in this path? I've been following you for so long and I'm, there's still so much brokenness in here. Like, despair is just around the corner. And yet, it shows us how powerful these things are, the pull that they have in us, how deep these roots go. But it also reminds me how easily we forget what else Peter tells us. Because yes, we have grace and praise God Praise God for grace. It's the only way that we could possibly be saved. There's nothing we could ever do to earn it or achieve it. Praise him for his grace. But it doesn't eliminate the need for good, old-fashioned hard work. That's where Peter goes. How do we move from vice to virtue? Yes, all is grace, but I can tell you this, it's not going to be easy. In fact, it's, it's going to be anything but. Grace is free, but it is never cheap. That's why Peter said, verse 5 and verse 10, right? He makes this so clear. He says, for this very reason, make every effort. Like not when you're in the mood effort, right? Or occasional effort or sometimes, or the ones that are really public or you don't make you feel the most guilt. No, every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then in verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall as if your life depends on it. Let me, let me give an example of the kind of work that I think Peter is, is talking about here, um, that he's asking of us. I love my yard. I love my yard. I love taking care of my yard. It's cheaper than therapy, you know? Just go out there and trim the bushes or mow the lawn. I love all that stuff. This is, this is always a favorite time of year for me. And I've, we've, you know, we've lived in Olathe for several years now. And, and in our yard, we've, we've had these, these beautiful knockout rose bushes, 10 of them. I mean, and they've been there for years. And so like by the time it's like July, they're, I'm not kidding, they're this tall. Um, and early on in the spring, there are, are hundreds of blooms on each 
each shrub, right? I love these things, right? Incredible. Until last year. Last year, one of them got a virus, which spread to all 10 of them. And they went from being beautiful to just being shrivelly and wilty and ugly. And so, you know, I, I tried the things I could. I, you know, Googled stuff and, you know, tried to figure out how to, how to fix it, solve it. I ended up calling my botanist friend. Everybody needs one of these, by the way. Um, and I described it to her. I sent some pictures to her. Um, and a couple weeks ago, I set about the cure, the only cure she could recommend. I dug up all 10 of them down to the root. I'm going to get emotional here. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it was hard work, right? Have you done that before for something that tall? I mean, it was, it was brutal and the thorns. I mean, I was bleeding all over the place, right? My arms were, were torn raw in that process. But it was, it was the only way. And this past week, after throwing them in the dumpster, I planted something brand new in each and every space. And friends, that's, that's what we have to do here. Like we just, the disease is too strong. Cut it out at the root. Attack it with every effort. Throw it in the dumpster and, and replace it with something, something new, something better. You can run after virtue or you can be trampled by vice. And I hate running, right? Running's the worst. It's hard. But I have to ask, this is my last question for us. Again, I've been wrestling with this this week. Are you learning to run? Are you learning to run? From vice, yes, but also into virtue, to, to pursue it, chase it, go after it, give, give all that you can to this, this endeavor, for in it, you will find, it won't be easy, but in it, you will find the life you're longing for. The thing that's been missing According to scholar N.T. Wright, uh, it's a longer quote, but let me, let me share it with you. He says, the difference between virtue and vice is this. Anybody can learn a vice. All you have to do is go into neutral, slide along with the way stuff is going, and before too long, certain habits of life will have you in their grip. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to try. It'll happen. That's vice. But virtue, you have to think about. You have to make a decision to be this sort of person now. Virtue is what happens when you make a thousand small decisions consciously, thought out, so that on the thousand and first occasion, you will unhesitatingly and instinctively, by second nature, act virtuously. And listen to what he says. Nobody does it by nature. Some people, thank God, do it by second nature. Peter says, practice these qualities. And we know, like, don't be fooled. Practice does not make perfect. But practice does make virtue. And anything worth getting, I mean, anything worth achieving, of course it's going to be hard. And throughout, throughout this series... We're going to recommend a variety of practices, spiritual discipline, spiritual practice, things that, that Christians for centuries have, have engaged in in order to, to work through this and become the kinds of, of people that God intended us for. Um, things like, you know, we talk about them often, right? Solitude, reading your Bible, prayer, fasting. Um, 
fellowship, celebration, service, all these kinds of things are ways, these practices to begin digging at the roots. And so let me even just encourage you, start now. Like you don't have to wait till we get to envy to start thinking about it, right? Start, start now in your own life. Build, it, build space in your life to practice these things, practice these things to, to be able to grow in them so that you know, maybe the first thousand is gonna be terrible, right? But by thousand and one, it, become, it starts to come out of you as if it was meant to. That's what we long for, isn't it? We practice together, don't we? I mean, don't forget Peter's writing to a church. If, if practice makes virtue, then community makes possible. Try these things out with us. Like push us, sharpen us, encourage one another in this. I mean, your, your virtue isn't just for you, right? Like a little gift that we have to keep us warm. It's for your neighbor, right? It's for the people around you. Your kids need your virtue. Your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, like the people around you, they need, they need the, and you need theirs. Like goodness in one another. And just imagine with me a church. Oh, can you, like us, you and me. Imagine if we were a virtuous people. Growing every day in virtue. Not in just, you know, rule-keeping, high-horse, snobbery, finger-pointing, you know. There's too much of that in churches, isn't there? But actual character. What if, what if we, like, again, us in this room, you and me, what if we were known as the best neighbors? And people actually wanted to move into our neighbor, on our street. They wanted to be close, whether they believe it or not, Right? Imagine if we were known as the best business owners and, and colleagues, the best classmates. What if, what if you, were, you were on the team, not simply because of your abilities, right? But, but because of the way that you bring the team together and the, the virtue that you, that you show. What if people around us could actually see that this good news really is that good? And don't you want it? Like, I don't, I'm tired of just like pretending to be nice, right? I want to love people. I don't want to just have sporadic generosity in my life. I want to be a generous person, not just giving my money, but everything to something bigger than myself. I, I want to be patient and, and heart diligent and persevering. Like, I want these things for me. And Peter says, yes, go get them. For he knows. Think about this. I mean, in the Gospels, Peter's undisciplined. I mean, he's kind of a jerk, isn't he? Unruly impetuous. He's a coward. He ends up denying Jesus. But this is decades later now. Not weeks, not months, not years. Decades in his life. And he's not the same man he was. And he's tasted goodness. Virtue. And with some of his very last words written down, he says to the church, to you and to me, go and get it. Jesus died for it. Yes, for our forgiveness. And, and again, there's nothing we can earn or, or prove or, or somehow achieve in this process. Like all is grace and, and all has been forgiven and, and we have this life. But the reality is Jesus didn't stay dead. He came out of the ground alive so that, so that he could generously give to us everything we need to live the life that he lived. To, to live the life that he called and created us for. Friends, chances are you've tried to do better, right? I mean, I've tried to stop being angry. I've tried to quit envy. Trying stinks. It doesn't work. 
but training, practicing, entering this life of, of discipline. Friends, I'm learning to run. Yeah, it's, it's not pretty. I'm lousy at it still. And yet there, yoked with Jesus, he runs with me. And so you can run after virtue or you can be trampled by vice. Will you run with us? God help us. Let's pray. God, we need your help. God, everything so quickly within me, within us, goes back to the easy way, which always leads to vice. God, would you root it out within us? You've begun that process through grace, through what Christ has done, and you have given and promised everything we need as your followers to do this. So begin that work today. God, would we be a people who hate our sin and love your goodness and pursue it with everything that we have? Not, not to earn, but because life is so much better when we seek after you. That this is what you've made us for and it's what, our, it's what our neighbors need, it's what our community needs. Let us be that church here and across our city. And so we trust you for these things, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name, amen.